relax. Those beats mean you're now listening to the very real people and places that supply your high. This is Grown Local with Billy Wayne Davis and Mike McGowan. Thank you, Ron Funches, and thank you, Producer Slee, for putting that, uh, just the best theme song. Uh, so good. There he is, Mike McGowan, everybody. Hey. Oh, sliding in there, all smooth, mm-hmm. like the theme song. Yeah. What are you doing this week? Where are you growing? <sighs> so many things. It's really fun. So we're like popping so many different strains right now and trying so many different things. We got your boy Harry Palms, his genetics right now. Ooh, I don't, that's just, don't, everything you're saying sounds disgusting. But, what is, uh, what is popping strains mean? Um, so basically it's about getting new genetics and popping the seeds and Oh, going. when they, it, when they pop out of the seed and they, okay, got you. Yeah. So it's just a literal, it, you're, you're, the, the cannabis lingo ranges from like actually what it's doing to, Hey, this is a code word that makes nothing because one time a famous dude said something you guys are like, okay, that's, but everyone knows it except for you, Billy. But then you just come out with like popping. You're like, no, it's because it pops. And you're like, okay. The seed pops. But yeah, lots of fun genetics that we're playing with uh, King's Cannabis. Um, We got the strawberry short cookies, which is fucking delicious. It's really, really nice. So it has like this wonderful strawberry smell to it. And then Uh on the back end, it just smells like some funky cheese. Like some like really kind of funky, nasty cheese that somehow got onto the strawberry dessert plate and you get to eat it together and it's so fucking good. No. Is it? It's really good. It was getting me way too stoned this week though. So I had to do... Okay, then I'm in. I'm very (laughs) interested now. You got my attention. When you said like funky cheese, I was like literally like, I don't want to... Because I like cheese, but I like sharp cheddar. I know what I'm getting. All that other cheese, they're like, hey, it smells bad, but it tastes good. And it doesn't. That's the lie. <laughs> well, maybe to a refined palate, you would understand. I, fair enough. But, fair enough. I hope I hope my palate never gets refined <laughs> enough where I'm like, what the hell is that? I want to eat it. I want to eat that nasty shit. Um, but so what I did is it was giving me way too stone. So I was doing a little bit of mixing and matching. Um, I was, you know, basically mixed drinking it, throwing in some high CBD weed into the grinder along with it. And then some of the garlic cookies that we were talking about earlier too, and just playing with ratios of that and just trying to find a nice little smooth high with it. Now, what did you come out with? Uh, so... Uh, the strawberry short cookies, at least uh-huh. one third of that, the high CBD, get a, like a little half of it, and then uh-huh. a lot of the garlic cookies. Okay, we were doing exact measurements till the end, and then we went with a feeling, <laughs> which is like, I think that's any good recipe, I guess, is like that. But I, we went from being like, you take a fourth of this, we're going to go in a half, and then you just... You take a shitload and you put an ass load on top of that. <laughs> We're like, all right. Now, I know how to, yeah, that's how I do Keith. Whereas, like, okay, we put some good 
good weight on here and then and then we just dump as much keef as we can on top to see if we can get to space all the keef the most when i learned about keef was in seattle washington uh when i first moved there and, and that's like when you really that's when i like i thought i loved weed and then i moved to seattle and was like i had no idea it's just the west coast is what it was i learned i thought seattle was a special place and they're like no this is just a gateway you dipshit this is where the airport is so the nice but thing I, about keith i can tell you the nice thing about keith i learned what to do i bought one of those vaporizers remember that come out of a box remember that and then have like an iv tube coming out yeah yeah i got my first grinder that had keith in it and i waited and i just ground up I bought an ounce, and I ground up all, <laughs> all the pot at once <laughs> just to see how much keef I could get out of it. Uh, I was fun, you guys. And then I loaded the whole vaporizer thing with keef, and oh, so high for like 20 minutes. <laughs> so back before like, like... Cocaine of fucking cannabis is what that was. Back before BHO, that's where people really get fucking high is off of the Keef. So the way that Oregon set up its laws when it first went wreck, because most of the people in the legal body had no idea about anything having to do with cannabis. <laughs> yeah. uh, they didn't know what Keef was. They didn't know how to handle it or what to do with it. So it was illegal to extract that from your weed. Yeah, I mean... Which means it's illegal for a dust to fall off of a piece of That's what of I was going to say. It's like, man, the wind is going to fuck you. Wind is gonna, <laughs> wind's going to get you every time. That reminds me of another crazy story. Okay. Uh, I used to tour with, uh, I call him Fatty Warbucks. You guys know him as uh, Ralphie May. And Ralphie taught me a lot about like really great weed and then how to move with it. Not as like a like trafficking, but just as a person. You could... Just how to move in places where you didn't think you could have weed. He taught me how to just have weed. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know what uh, you mean. Yeah, well, I know you know what I mean. But, like, it was just for personal use. It wasn't like I was, like, making money or anything. It was just like, oh, I just like having weed with me all the time. And I'm starting to travel a lot. One time he gave me a small Ziploc, like one of those, not like cocaine small, but, like, pretty small Ziploc bags full of keef and he's and he was like here and i was like so excited i was going to take it home and do the vaporizer thing is what i was going to do i'd already and i put it underneath my sock in like in my sock under in my in the arch of my foot and then i got pulled aside <laughs> and i was like oh i wasn't worried and then he made me take my shoes off mm-hmm and I was like, oh, this sucks. And then, it, then I got double worried because, like you said, they didn't know what it was. And it's a brown fucking powder. <laughs> and we powder. got heroin. And that's why I, that's the, uh, that's when I got worried. That is literally, I wasn't worried till it was like, oh, if they do find that, they're going to think that's fucking heroin. <laughs> and I can't explain, like, no, it's just this fun stuff that falls off weed um yeah it's pollen so find, like, yeah i mean but you couldn't <laughs> but thank god he didn't 
He didn't check the under part of my foot. So the fun thing about it too is, uh, you know, they have trim bins, uh, which is kind of like this bin that you trim over, and then it has the mesh netting, the fine mesh netting, so that uh, it's a little area for you to collect it. Um, but back in the day, before you know legalization, back in the medical days, we couldn't even really sell that at the grow shop unless you called it a pollen collector. So they were like, yeah, so we're collecting pollen from lavender. So the lavender, you know, let's the pollen. It's like, nah, that's for Keith, dude. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love all that little, like, like word loophole shit. It was insane. I love it. It was insane. I love it. It's a fun game. It's like a weird word game that, that people are playing. Yeah. I never the took... The consequences are insane. <laughs> I never took semantics uh, or syntax in college or high school or anything like that, but I kind of wish I I did. Yeah. No, it's important. You should. Yeah. Just start reading the, the thesaurus. Thesaurus. So, tell us about this week's guest because it's one of my favorite interviews we've done just because it's she it's a woman <gasps> we, we talked to an actual female wait women working cannabis that's crazy yeah yeah uh and not just bud tender ladies too it's crazy oh there's some uh, low down fucking g's in it Yes, there are. Yeah, and that's who we talked to in action. I mean, she's she's like a... AJ? Can we use that name? Oh, Is yeah. Name? AJ. Okay. AJ. She's she's wonderful. It's like... I would compare her to, like, uh, Glenda the Good Witch. Do you know what I mean? From Wizard of Oz? Oh, yeah. We're like, they're good witches where they're, like, they're cool and, like, they have that, like, presence we're like i feel good when you're around but like i would never cross you ever in a million years i'll drop you're a also house a witch. on you you're also a witch for so sure you have powers yeah yeah it's like yeah well no aj for me she's like one of my older friends here her sister is actually one of the first people that i met when i came to eugene she talks about her sister in the podcast but uh, AJ, I've known for years, and uh, when I first met her, she was this long-haired hippie girl, and you know now she's a tattoo artist and went through this crazy journey to get it. But she is one of those people who is an absolute sweetheart, a wonderful mother. You know, she'll talk about it in the interview about you know some of the things she had to go through being a mother and being an illegal cannabis grower at the time. But she's like this wonderful mother. But then at the same time, I had no fear going into drug deals with 100 pounds and her running the show with dudes from the East Coast. Like, she just had it like that, where she would command respect, but at the same time, she would be like, okay, I got to go get a juice box for my son over here and take care of him. Like, you know, and to me, I think that's the reality of the situation is back in the day before it was legal. You know, there's people who just wanted to work in cannabis and wanted to have that job, but then they also had to deal with the illegal side of it, and they had to get. No, there was when 
when she was talking about like that lifestyle, it it I related it as a, like a stand up to that so much that it was like it got to a point, and you'll hear it in the interview where she's like, and then it was just like I was done because it wasn't what I was about anymore, and it was like, oh, I had those moments as this, I've had those moments as a stand up where I've been like. Oh, uh, what I'm chasing isn't what I want out of this. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna choose a different route, and that's hard to because you. It's not like you've been. It's been a week you've been chasing something. <laughs> no, it's a whole life. It's you know many weeks, days, months, years, just putting in sixteen hours, just trying to fucking give it your all, and then it's like, oh fuck. Over the course of six months, this entire industry has been changed by people who have never been in this industry before. And now that my life has changed, do I still want this? Do I still need this? You know, it's a weird predicament to be put into. Or do I have to work harder to find my niche in this that I didn't have to work that that way? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of... That's what I've seen through stand-up, and I've also seen this through the people we've met. That seems to be another another common thread is, like, you do have to adapt quickly or you're out. Very much so. And, you know, sometimes you have to adapt to things that you were already trying to get away from. You yeah. know, like the life before cannabis and all the bullshit that you had to do. And you're like, no, nah, fuck this. I want to be a cowboy. I want to, you know, go out, do some illegal shit, make some money, be my own boss. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, but then you're going to have to give up on these things. You're going to have to maybe put yourself in some risk, put yourself into some danger. And you're like, okay, cool. I'm fucking about it. And then overnight it changes and it's like, okay, well now you're back in corporate America and you got to hop over these bureaucratic bullshit things. And it's like, fuck. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That's, and, and she explains sides of it that we haven't heard. Like there's more emotion in this interview than you're probably, than we've heard. I mean, I don't know. That's not true. Adam's very emotional too about <laughs> CBD, but hers is more like, like, she's so worried about, and she's very honest. I think that's the thing. Like, she's also very honest about the reflection of what, and real, about what the industry gave her and what the industry took from her. And it's, it's not just about her. Like, just like you'll hear, but her and many other people, it is a family business. Um, you know, if it was any other career or business you know her family would be a part of it you know her kids would be around it you would take your work home with you but you know when it's something illegal then there's a bunch of judgments around it there is actual danger around it and just trying to you know make peace with that can sometimes be hard you know and i think she is a little bit hard on herself at certain points of this because i do know her to be a fantastic fucking mom but you know sometimes well i was gonna say like as a father the the way she feels guilty, like admittedly feels guilty about certain things. It was like, to me, that was like, well, that makes you already a step ahead of a lot of 
people, a lot of parents, yeah. is they don't feel, they don't even understand to feel guilty about these things. It's like, it's never, it's like, that to me told me like, oh, you were, you were doing all this for the right reasons and you're going to mistake on the side of caution. And I think that's what, she, it was just like, it's very clear that she's not a bad mother. She's probably a better mother than most. Absolutely. And I mean, I've been, Eugene, the cannabis industry here is a family thing. I've been at so many grows with kids around and, you know, the kids going in and pulling the yellow and sick leaves off of the plant when they're like five. Like that's how they learn colors is they're like, okay, this leaf is yellow. It has deficiencies. I'm going to pull that off of the plant. I've been my around cousin, families. My cousin's, his mom or his dad's grandfather had tobacco fields. I grew up. I remember being like four and five, pulling that shit, sticky shit off stuff. <laughs> and that's awful for you. It's. I mean, it's not. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I, I think my family's all East Coast painters. Uh, you know, at a very young age, I was running up and down ladders, bringing them shit. I could have fallen off. Stop talking. That's awful. <laughs> God. No, being up high like that, like, hey, come over here. I'm like, fuck, no. He's a kid. Stop it. Kids are so dumb. No, run up here. It's fine. Ladders are meant for three people on one ladder. But, <laughs> but you know, it's the weird thing about cannabis is it's like, you know, everybody knows what their parents do. Everybody has maybe gone to work with their parent. But then once it's a plant that people have considered to be illegal, having your kid around your work, all of a sudden now you got to question it and you get wondering if it's too taboo or not. It's she, she handles all of it with a grace. That's very impressive. Absolutely. And then she also articulates how emotional and her thought process is going through very well. Uh, which I'm very thankful for as a podcast host. <laughs> she is an amazing interview. A great interview. No, she's always it's... had a level head. Like, So she used to work for me back in the day. We had this grow house out in the woods. This old lady was living at it. We were like, hey, you get to live here rent-free as long as your name's in all the paperwork so if anything happens i don't have to worry about it and we would pay her two pounds every three months every harvest and aj would come out there and she would help me grow there she would help me take care of the plants she was there one day and we walk in and the old grandmom who was living there for free she has a huge box of money on the table and we're like yo what's this about and then after questioning, it turns out that the fucking grandmom was getting weed and money sent back and forth from the East Coast out of my grow house, which is very bad because that's when you bring in the federal government and they don't like to lose. So I immediately lose. No, 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 no. They don't lose. <laughs> yeah, they don't lose. They've lost like twice from what I understand. And yeah, you're right. They hated it. They did. They don't lose. They don't go in unless they're like, we're going to win this. We're going to win that. So that was immediately like, okay, well, this deal's off. 
I just say, okay, we're going to head out of here all nice to the old lady. But then the second I get into the car with AJ, I just start losing my fucking mind. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This woman, she could get me thrown into prison. What the hell? What the fuck? That older woman ends up going up to Portland for the weekend. Uh, in the span of 24 hours, I pulled the entire grow, all the plants, all the infrastructure in the garage, everything out of there without her knowing about it. She comes back on Monday. I'm there when she comes back and I'm like, hey, so you broke the rules. You're getting money and weed mailed back and forth from this house. That could get me in a lot of trouble. So now you're off on your own and the grow is out of your house. Can we talk to that lady? Can we interview her? Me and her don't talk no more. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. But AJ... Eugene's not super cool. <laughs> <laughs> but AJ was there through everything with me. She's always been a ride-or-die chick. She was always like, oh, shit. Uh, I can't believe she did that. You know, she's always been there. Yeah, no, she's... She's amazing. You guys, you're really, really... It's just, It's... It's an amazing interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. Everybody give a listen to my buddy, AJ. Happy Jam Rose. So you've been in the cannabis industry for how long? Easy transition. <laughs> right. Uh, I started I started growing weed, um, I guess it was like 10 years ago. Yeah, because I had just had my son. And it was a way for me to support the family without having to work. Yeah. yeah. Are you so? Are you actually from Eugene, or did you move here to grow weed, or were you here and? Uh, no, I was. I was born in Alaska. Um, ended up moving to Eugene, Oregon, in my twenties when I left my religion and needed a place to kind of restart. Why did you pick Eugene? My sister was here. Oh, okay. Yeah, and she was the only family that I had, so that's how that started. And I would say that Eugene had a big impact on even thinking about growing weed. What religion? Jehovah's Witness. Okay. Yeah. It's not an easy one to bounce from. No. Yeah. No, it's a little culty. Yeah. 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 It's a large cult. Yeah. E. <laughs> so then how did you get into the cannabis? Was it just there? Did somebody co-op uh, you? I, my sister was definitely into it a lot more than I was at the time. Um, she was she had been out of the religion for two years. So she had a head start as far as like networking, getting to know people in town. And she was working with a guy that grew a lot of indoor, um, out by the coast. And I think that's kind of what sparked it is I was seeing what he was doing and a part of like trim circles and helping to process his crops and things like that. And, and medical was flourishing at the time and I was like shoot I mean we've got a garage we've got extra power in the house and 
one thing led to another. There was a few failed attempts to like get an indoor going at first. What happened? Uh, the first time I was at a house in Eugene and we had this little back shed that we thought would work and we were bringing contractors out and like looking at getting power out there and things like that. And then a neighbor came by like two days after that and just knocked on the door like complete stranger. We didn't know them, but they were from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, do you know anybody in this neighborhood who grows weed? And we just were totally spooked by that we were like somebody's watching us like there's we were hella paranoid and we're like just shut it down we're not gonna do it here and so that was one of the first times that i was like thinking about growing but didn't did you ever follow up with that lady the lady that knocked on the door no you didn't like we figured they're probably like fbi or something (laughs) which is totally not true But you we were just really like, paranoid. Think you were just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But we had we had people coming out there, and we were like talking in the backyard. At that oh. point, at that point, like growing weed was still like you couldn't talk to people about what you were doing. And so we figured, if there was a savvy neighbor or anything like that, there we couldn't have that. Yeah. So we just and shut that. That down. lady just the nosy lady came over. Like, you know anybody growing weed? It was like, really oh, weird. Like who does? I don't know who does that. Jones Jones <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so finally I did start growing in a little house right in town in Eugene and got this little setup with four lights. It was a little little baby garden and mm-hmm. and that's how things started. Where did they go from there? You th- you say it like like nothing happened in between, and now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it started. Um, so I had a little, I had 4,000-watt lights in the garage, and that was going well, and I was able to, at the very least, support myself and not have to go out and get a job. Mm-hmm. And then an opportunity presented itself with a warehouse in Springfield, and uh, it was a 4,000-square-foot warehouse with three bays in it, and there was one bay that was for rent. The other two were already rented out to this appliance repair guy. And we were already kind of used to being super incognito. And we designed the whole space so that we could pull a vehicle into the space and be as discreet as possible. Or so we thought. There was a lot <laughs> that we didn't know. Um, and so we started growing in there. And that was a that was like a 16 light setup to start, which was a huge jump for us Mm -hmm. going from growing in your little garage to growing in a warehouse to growing acres of hemp, which I think is the next step that a lot of people have taken Mm -hmm. are all huge jumps. And there's a lot, there's a big learning curve there. Yeah. Um, so then we got that all set up and then the appliance guy ended up dying and did you do it? Yeah, no, (laughs) (laughs) but that's always the question. Um, and so he vacated the space. It was actually pretty, pretty soon after we moved in, I want to say like one or two months. So we were still just getting our feet wet Yeah. and the appliance guy died. And our logic was, well, we don't want neighbors. We'd rather have this whole property to ourselves. So all of a sudden, you know, in the matter of less than six months, I went from growing under four lights to 
trying to make a whole 4,000 square foot warehouse work. That's a, that's a bold move. At the time, yeah. I kind of look back at that time and I had like, I had such a fire lit under my ass mm-hmm. and I think I was really inspired to start a homestead and not be working for the man, mm-hmm. so to speak, that I was willing to work 16 hour days then do whatever it took. Yeah. Now on the other side of that, I'm like, huh, that was a bit much. <laughs> yeah. But at the time it all I had it all justified and it all made sense. You bet you wouldn't probably do that again. No. No. No, I would actually discourage people from yeah. that. <laughs> what happened? Um it all it all went pretty well. I mean, of course there's there's hiccups and like things to learn, but it was flourishing. Um from there, I considered and was starting a edibles company. Mm-hmm. And that started really taking off into where I was having to make like, fuck, I don't know, it was like thirty to 50,000 pieces of candy every month. And I was doing that all in my kitchen. <laughs> Single mom. Whoa. Like, kid wasn't even in kindergarten yet. Yeah. Um, so my whole kitchen was taken over by candy making... Um, every square inch of the house, it seemed, was dedicated to growing or manufacturing or processing. So when you talk about four lights, 16 lights, now I'm in charge of Mm 4,000 square foot. That's a lot of infrastructure. That's a lot of having to take on a lot of ancillary parts of the industry Mm -hmm. what was that like because it isn't just like boom 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 (laughs) what was like some of the experiences it was it was like getting down to literally the last penny i remember sitting out in front of um this person's yard that i was living with and she was letting me live in her garage while we were getting the warehouse set up um and i remember i had like a jar full of change and we had to pay the electrician to get everything wired. And I can't even remember how it was. It was a lot of money at the mm-hmm. time, like over a couple thousand dollars probably. And That's I remember still a lot of money. It is. <laughs> I mean, not to not to these big weed growers no, anymore. I know. I know what you're saying, but um like and to most people like fuck, that's too grand. Yeah. Yeah. And it was for us too. Yeah. So I remember sitting out in the front yard and dumping out this jar of change that we had and like and we made it. Like we we were like we need we just need like 400 or more dollars and everybody just scrounged. It was my sister and I mostly and mm-hmm. we used every fucking coin in that jar like to pay the electrician. So I would say the first 6 to 9 months were like that just starving and scraping and telling ourselves if we can just get through the next few months we'll have it that was really naive <laughs> yeah, i was about to say like, first harvest oh, everything's first harvest, fine man. and then and you're like oh yeah and you know we're gonna put plants in there with the lights and then you know in three months we'll have what is it we can get two pounds of light that's like 32 pounds that's like sixty four thousand dollars, and we'll be set mm-hmm but of course, we get all the plants in there, and the first round is just a fucking dud. Yeah, it was. I think I was really motivated because it was it was work that I could do at night when, so I was still able to like 
be with my son during the day, get him off to a play date if I needed to go out and work. Um, and then there was just, there was a lot of guilt too, honestly. Just like, oh gosh, what am I exposing my child to? Am I neglecting him because I have to take care of these plants? Um, yeah, and there's probably some stories I could tell about that that are... <laughs> Please tell those stories. (laughs) One of my favorites, which is sweet, but also like it kind of made me step back and be like, holy shit, like what am I doing? Um, We were having a big trim party at the house and there was probably five or six people. And I was usually pretty good at like occupying my son during those times or he'd be at his dad's house. But one time he was there and he walks out into the living room where all this herb is and pulls a nug up off the table and smells it. And he goes, is that, is that blue dream? <laughs> he fucking uh, called the strain. <laughs> how old was he when this happened? He was less than five. He was probably four, four or five. And I was like, was I he was right? like, he was right. I was proud. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. How do you feel about now? I still have guilt. Really? I feel like, I feel like he was exposed to certain lifestyle that at the time, I mean, he still probably doesn't realize that that's not normal. What do you mean? What, what parts? Um, like hanging out with guys who traffic drugs and like come and hang out at the house. And when they come hang out, they're like, Hey kid and hand him a hundred bucks just because they have so much money and maybe they feel bad for him. I don't know, but he would, he would just get used to like seeing these big thugs looking guys come to the house and just give him a hundred dollars and that was normal to him well there's nothing wrong with that no but if i were to i don't know if i were to tell that to the wrong people or on a podcast or on a podcast (laughs) i'd probably get some get some shit for that yeah but if you vaccinate your kids you're gonna get some shit from some people too true so it's like i don't understand it's definitely, I think, it's more, a plant. Yeah, totally. If you wanna, if you wanna talk philosophy, and I think that's how I got myself around it. I was like, this is medicine. This is therapeutic. This, it's not something that he was ingesting. But on a legality level, it still could have gotten me into a lot of trouble. Yes. And so I felt bad for that. And then the the risk you put yourself and him. I understand yeah. that part. Yeah. I think too, and there was a lot of times because back then too, um, and maybe still now, cause I'm not super into the weed culture anymore, but you weren't allowed to have like firearms and herb in the same location mm-hmm. because that was a whole other level of federal problems. Well, why would you? Because people want to rob you. No, I know. But like lots, like from like, why I understand, but do you not understand? Like, why people that don't understand the world would be like, why would you have a gun next to a thing if you're like, well, because people are gonna take it. It's right. Like, it's worth money. Yeah. You don't have to guard oranges. <sighs> They're worth nothing. <laughs> the orange farmers are all mad at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> the orange market Florida, is. Florida. We just lost Florida. <laughs> <laughs> the, I just fucked up the commodities market. I really did. He fucked it up. <laughs> Billy Wayne Buffett over here. <laughs> <laughs> sell, sell, sell. 
I, I definitely spent, and I think that being pretty stoned in those moments added to paranoia, but I definitely spent many nights walking around the house while my son was sleeping and just being like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. I like very clear. It was very clear that we were a, a weed uh, operation. operation. And anyone who, if anyone knew that I was just a single mom at home alone with a kid, I think that they would have figured, hey, we can go take all this mm -hmm. and not really suffer many damages. And so that was that was a constant fear. That's it. Not not to make a loaded <laughs> question here, but I haven't really ever heard that sentiment from men who had kids mm. at illegal grows or anything like that. Do you think that inherently that's them just bravado not giving a fuck like where does that come from for you i feel like a lot of the times it wasn't something that i was afraid of and that's what scared me if that makes sense there would be a lot of times where i'd walk around the house and i was just like wow this is pretty fucking bold mm -hmm. and i haven't considered how this could all go terribly wrong and the baseball bat that I keep by the front door is only going to do so much. No, it won't do that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. yeah, it was, that was scary to me. Um, fortunately, nothing ever happened, but. Could I ask you, did, for all the risk you took, did you stack enough away to make it all worth it? I definitely benefited I don't have, I mean, yeah, I guess I have some things to show for it, but it's, it seems like there's a few degrees of removed from actually making money growing weed. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to travel a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to homeschool my son for kindergarten at least and like enjoy that life. So I think that is how I benefited. Mm-hmm. Had I chosen to stay in it, I probably could have, but I got to a point with it where, especially as it became legalized, um, that it wasn't the same, it wasn't the same animal anymore. Yeah. And I didn't want to live under constant camera surveillance and deal with, um, all of these, what is the metric system that they use to track everything now? Like that just that killed all of it for me, because um, I was try was doing all that to get away from that kind of bureaucracy. Yeah, what do you do now? I'm a tattoo artist. That is not very. There's not many bureaucrats in that world. No, no. I I feel like it's it's there's they parallel each other in a lot of ways, but it's not illegal activity. So I sleep better at night now. Yeah. Yeah. So you say you sleep better at night now and the anxieties around what you were doing. Um, what, what was the good parts of that anxiety? I mean, I do feel like a lot of us get into this because mm -hmm. we kind of get off on the, oh, shit, I might get arrested. Totally. And, and you and I, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to call you. What's, you, what's your name? Mike. Mike. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if we had like monikers or anything. I'm kind of mustard. <laughs> and that's something that Mike and I spoke about quite often because we work together frequently and we would sit down and have meals together and talk about how like, oh shit, like are we ruining ourselves a little bit? Because 
yeah, the risk is exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think I was like feeling bad for that too because I was like, if if I were in a completely different scenario where I didn't have a kid, I probably would have continued to push in the direction of the weed industry and maybe even in, on the black market side of things simply because it is quite a rush and it's really fun. And it's fun to like drive for six hours in a day and make thousands of dollars. But yeah, and I had... um. I had a, f- a couple, I had two apartments at one time. So I had the house and then I had a separate apartment where we would do a lot of our deals. Uh, and that was pretty superfluous looking back. <laughs> and it felt, it felt good. It just, you know, I had people working for me that I paid well. That felt not impulsive, but it felt nice to be able to give somebody an actual like living wage and know that they were living well as, as well. Um, I bought a car when I thought that I was going to be making that money forever. That was slightly impulsive. Mostly vacations, I would say. Experiential things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, when you say by getting an apartment just for deals. Yeah. You know, that's (laughs) not really, oh, I have 16 lights. I got to get rid of this weed. Do you want to expound upon that? Well, I didn't want I didn't want to have a place where these people were coming over to buy and like have them come into my house for more than one reason. Uh, but I was like they don't need to know where I'm growing it, they don't need to know where my stash is, and so that was a big reason. Also, there wasn't really a way to discreetly load uh, large amounts of herb in and out of vehicles or however they were transporting it. Mm-hmm. So this specific apartment was nice because people could pull into the garage. The garage was connected to the apartment and everything was super discreet as far as that goes. Um, It was also a place that I had, I paid for it, but I leased it under somebody else's name. So it wasn't connected to me in that way. Um, And then we, you know, did all the other lavish things like threw parties there and yeah. I had fun at those parties. Yeah. <laughs> they were fun. <laughs> I bet they were. It was really funny because uh, not too distant past, I went, uh, my friend was like, hey, can you meet me at my boyfriend's yoga studio? And it's in an area of town that's being genderfied. Mm-hmm. And uh, I show up to the yoga studio and I was like, wait, I know this place. <laughs> I used to watch. I used to be part of big weed deals in this mm-hmm. fucking place. What the fuck? Yeah, it's a yoga studio now. Nice. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, being a female, I know this is. You probably get this a lot. And it's loaded or whatever, but like, <laughs> it's a lot of this game from what i'm understanding is like there's intimidation involved in a lot of the stuff yeah so like did you would you go in by yourself or did you employ people to help on that end of it i usually went in by myself which another thing in retrospect i was like dude what was i what was i doing and i think the reason why i have that viewpoint now is um i have seen like have lost friends to pretty gruesome uh, murders and situations that weren't necessarily tied to the industry, but close enough. Mm-hmm. 
I think I was just really brazen because I didn't really understand that I was putting myself into some interesting or dangerous situations. I think I was more naive than brave, but it probably came off as more brave than, I don't know, maybe people just thought I was dumb. I mean, I've seen you handle dudes that most people would be very intimidated (laughs) to handle and you put them in place and get what you want out of the deal and kind of take over situations. So I definitely think there is inherently a part of you, whether that was because of naivety. Naivete. Naivete. (laughs) Or just who you are as a person. You know, it could have been like a perfect mix. I think it's probably both. Yeah. Before I was in uh, the weed game, I was in sales. Um, I sold like home theaters and stadium sound systems. Mm -hmm. And so I got a lot of experience dealing with contractors and like big burly just assholes. Yeah. Um, And so that helped, I would say. And then I always, I think from that experience and probably just some insightful conversations with other men, realized that, yes, men will intimidate someone, man or woman, if they can. But I, I so I dated this guy in Scotland and he hmm. opened up to me once and told me that he was terrified of women. And this is someone that had like, killed people like scottish man scottish man i can see all this makes sense though scottish (laughs) man who's killed people yeah he's killed people and is afraid of women yes (laughs) all this makes sense but to me that makes sense and i i wanted to know why and he said well because you can't like society says you can't hurt a woman even if she's hitting you and hurting you you're not supposed to turn around and hit her back now i don't think all men live by that code they don't but i think that a lot do and so i kind of played that card too um and so maybe that's reverse psychology i don't know but no i, I think that's you're playing the same intimidation game that mm-hmm. that some of those people are playing right because, yeah i was a, i have two younger sisters i was they hit me yeah right and, and you weren't allowed to hit them back no, i was not and I, yeah i'm still not happy there's about. right there's that power play that is really unfair because it still hurts it's right and then my instinct <laughs> is like i won't fight you right now right and yeah. you can't you just can't yeah yeah and so i think for somebody that hasn't that's smart yeah so i i played that for sure um again probably more brazen than i should have been but but at the same time it's you're it's pot Right. It's this isn't there's definitely that line drawn in the black market world, too, where it's like, well, you're not dealing white drugs, so it's not as dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I do. I would like to believe that that's true, but I've also seen that that's not true. So really totally. You seen people get murdered over pot? I haven't seen it, but definitely heard stories. Yeah, tell me of their names. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, like, or um, specifically, there was one one thing that happened, and I think it was in the Eugene area where, like, someone even slit the throats of guard dogs to get into whatever grow operation there was going on, and someone was shot. And so, you get enough money in one spot, people are going to do crazy things. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I, f- I forget how big some of these operations can be. Yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, we were just talking earlier about how a friend of mine potentially got murdered over 
what, like 25 grand, which to me seems really petty, but Mm -hmm. I had that stacked easy. It's not that much money. It's really not. And to me, I wouldn't think that somebody would be violent, maybe violent, but not murderous. Not human life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that's true for everyone. Oh, it's not. (laughs) Right. No, it's not. Or the ID channel would not exist. Mm Mm-hmm. So exactly. you talk about fear and, you know, being a little naive with stuff. What was the situation that kind of broke all that? Where it was the most scary thing you had been into or scariest situation in it that kind of woke you up and got you to realize what was on the line a little bit more? It wasn't it wasn't scary like, oh, I fear for my life, but it was when my dad was dying and I was like taking care of him. He had lung cancer and he was living with me at the time too. And I was managing the warehouse and I was also going down and working half time um, down in the Redwoods in Northern California and doing an outdoor grow down there as well. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. I had like no time. And so what scared me was I was willing to make all of these choices and not actually like spend time with my family. Um, and then, and then I started realizing where the industry was going and that that wasn't where I wanted to go. It wasn't what I wanted to be. And so, um, I had gradually been like shutting things down because my dad was requiring so much more attention and we were having to take him up to Portland for cancer treatments and things like that. And so then I decided to shut down the warehouse mostly because I had, I had a lot of overhead paying for this warehouse. I mean, warehouse rent was like $4,500 a month or something like that. And so I sold all my lights and, Fortunately, uh, Mike here bought all my plants, <laughs> which that's a good story. Um, and that paid all my rent one month. And I, I wasn't worried about it because I had a big crop down in Cali still. So I went, I sold everything, got all my bills paid for the month. Dad was taken care of. And I was down in Northern California managing that crop. And I got the phone call that my dad had passed away. And I was in the middle of nowhere, off grid, like no way I could have really gotten away to even console my sister or anybody else. And I was just like, dang it, I think I think my priorities are a little askew here. Like I wished that I had been up in Portland when my dad died rather than, you know, down in California yeah. doing that. So I think it was, it wasn't like a, fear of losing my life or my son but really just like wow i got kind of spun out but also in a way losing your life and losing your son true yeah because it wasn't i wasn't paying attention to that yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's what you were afraid of Mm -hmm. but like conscious that it's not like oh i'm gonna lose them but like oh i'm losing them right now right now yeah Yeah. and i've got to like stop this and but most people aren't at themselves or reflective enough to even understand that. That's true. I so, don't know why. I don't I don't understand it either. We can round back into the Jehovah's Witness story because one you're, day they knocked on your door. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's like you you leave a whole community when you do that. So they had my And they whole, don't like it. No. Yeah, they don't like it. So my whole family aside from my dad had disowned my sister and I for leaving. So they didn't care. Um my dad knew what was going on because he was living in the house with me and he would even like help me trim, which was really sweet. Yeah, he would. <laughs> it was cute. Um, so he was he was into it, but also he I think hated it, too, because there would be so many times where I'd be walking, running around the house, cleaning and trying to keep up with everything. And he'd be like, ah, sit down. You're stressing me out. <laughs> um, so there was that. But. I don't think he, I don't think he cared, but my dad was like a prepper libertarian who owned an off-grid cabin in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. So he's awesome. He was awesome, but also like, why are you getting into, like, he could never really understand the longevity of the weed industry. He was like, you need to be buying rice and beans and storing it and getting ready for the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So but he had different priorities. It, but too. it wasn't that you were doing something illegal. Cause he didn't care the, about that. Fuck the government. No. He he came from like working with the mafia and yes. bootleggers. And well, you don't go to Alaska right, exactly. that early on. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> without some, hey, I got to go. Mm -hmm. I got to go up to Alaska now. Mm -hmm. You're like, why? Like, I just. I just do. <laughs> are you in oil? I am not. I'm not in oil. But I have to live in Alaska. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. No, I and assumed some stuff was going on. <laughs> yeah, he had some good stories, too, that are are really fun. But um, And then the interesting what thing was that um, my mom and stepdad, who are still both Jehovah's Witnesses, both had their bouts, their health bouts. Um, my stepdad was electrocuted by a high-voltage line, and that almost killed him. And then my mom had uh, lymphoma. And so they, and that was all, it seems like it was all in the same year. So they ended up contacting me and telling me that. And at the time I was like of the mindset that marijuana could cure everything. Mm -hmm. And so somehow I convinced my family, my Jehovah's Witness family to start using cannabis that's, and my mom, that's just an impressive feat, right? There. Right, yeah, just good that. good salesmanship mm -hmm. there. Yeah, um, <laughs> it did cure my mom of her lymphoma. Um, she got rid of all of her tumors and things like that. And I have a funny story about that. Um, I started making candy and edibles for my parents or my mom and stepdad for their different health problems. And so they would bring bags of uh, weed candy around with them everywhere and just eat it constantly. And I don't know if you know anything about Jehovah's Witness culture, but, well, you do. They knock on doors, right? Yeah, well, so when they, I like cults. Right. I mean, so they're fascinating. They are very fascinating. That's another podcast. Yeah, it is. But they were, they drive around in car groups. So there's usually like four or five of them that will go around to a neighborhood and they'll like tag team it. Mm-hmm. And so they're in this car group with other Jehovah's Witnesses and my stepdad pulls out his fucking bag of weed candy and starts eating a candy and somebody else in the car is like, hey, what's that? And he, my stepdad tries to play it off and be like, oh, they're just these things that my wife makes, yada, yada, yada. And like, long story short, the other Jehovah's Witness in the car ends up getting a piece of these <laughs> candies not knowing that there's yes. weed in it and they basically like dosed everybody good 
Yeah, it was pretty great. And now none of them are Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) They're still Jehovah's Witnesses. Like they're laying, they're laying in the car, like, what are we? What is God, really? (laughs) I mean, have you guys just? I know we're always. Have we stopped and knocked on our own door? (laughs) Right. (laughs) What is in this candy? (laughs) Why do we knock on doors? Why can't we do medicine? Is that them? <laughs> the blood transfusion. They, yeah, they don't, yeah, they don't do that. So wait, they're still Jehovah's Witnesses? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you talk to them? No. No, we've been estranged for uh, so 13 years. You <sighs> give them something that saves yeah. their life, gets them cured of cancer, mm-hmm. and then it's just like, all right, thanks. Yeah. Cut off again. Yep. That's insane. That's how it goes with them. Religion, man. It's just cool. Right. <laughs> I you think they on that candy they were just like yo, I know we never <laughs> talk about this but they say there's only like a hundred forty four thousand right. <laughs> Why do we keep telling people about this? <laughs> have you ever have you ever like eaten weed candy or yes. anything like that, not knowing that it's what it was and like getting stoned and not knowing what was happening to you? I've eaten more than I realized. Okay. But that's different because you still knew that you were getting stoned. Yeah, it was fun as hell. I would like to have the experience of like being stoned but not knowing that that's what it was or how it happened. I've ta- I've eaten stuff and it's and I've forgotten. Mhm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then like 45 minutes later, like, I'm off doing an errand I shouldn't be doing. Right, you're like, And then, like, I'll be in the post office, like, man, I feel fucked. Oh, no. Did you but tell Mike but that? I already, because, but I already know what's happening. I mean, Right. And then yeah. I'm not, oh, no, for long. I'm like, this is just going to be hilarious. <laughs> I would so like you to- want somebody to go and follow you around and just randomly slide... Yeah, I don't think you should say this, this on the podcast. I mean, at this point, <laughs> I just like to I just ruined. like to be dosed sometimes. <laughs> so I never know why I'm feeling crazy. I think AJ would be cool with a curveball just out of nowhere, being like, "Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I would too." But I would really, I don't know if I think this I'm, will be on the uh, paywall. You'll see a video of us <laughs> dosing AJ. <laughs> I don't think that I'll ever have the opportunity now. Where I've never been stoned, never had that experience yeah. at all, and not know it's coming, and then suddenly out of the blue feel altered. That would be a trip. I don't know how Literally. they deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't Especially know. Especially if like you're a Jehovah's Witness. Especially if you're a Jehovah's and Witness. And you've never heard somebody even talk about you know, right. being stoned and the weird feelings mm-hmm. around it. That has to be interesting. Yeah. It, it would be a religious experience. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be. It would be the definition. They're like, yo, y'all remember that time all four of us were like on another level together? <laughs> it sounds like can- cannabis wise, like it ran its course for you. Yeah. Like it, you got what you needed from it, it got what it needed from you, and mm-hmm. you moved on. But you're I still do, in it. I do still um yeah, I'm still in it. Um what I do now is uh I make some people call it Rick Simpson oil. Yeah, I know what that is. Uh 
they use organic solvents and make extracts and work with cancer patients. Can you tell people what Rick Simpson oil is? Because I was just like, yeah, I know what that is. Uh, <laughs> Rick Simpson is a guy that um, kind of popularized this method of extraction. And he he really was trying to get people to use isopropyl alcohol, which that's probably more of a detail that's really unnecessary. But basically, oh, it's he, all necessary. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying everything that you're saying is necessary. So, well, the reason why I kind of, I don't really call it Rick Simpson oil anymore is because I use organic alcohol as the solvent. Um, I think Rick Simpson was telling people to use isopropyl alcohol because it's more accessible, especially if you're underage. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also less expensive. But isopropyl alcohol also has things added to it to make it essentially like poisonous if you ingest it. And so cool. I don't really like using isopropyl. That's a long way of saying he popularized a way, a method of using alcohol to extract the THC and other cannabinoids from um, cannabis plant material. Mm -hmm. And so basically you do like alcohol wash with the plant material and then you cook all the alcohol off and you're left with this black tar, very sticky kind of um, resin. Comes in a syringe usually, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I used to give it to people in syringes. Um, that's a fun story too. Actually, the first person I ever tried it on was my stepdad after he got electrocuted. And Rick Simpson, what I knew of him at the time was that he was telling people that if you do a gram a day of this very, very strong oil, which is about it's about 700 milligrams of THC. And anybody who <laughs> eats edibles knows mm -hmm. this, that that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's about 700 milligrams of THC a day for 60 days that you could get rid of cancer, different tumors, different um, physical maladies. And so my stepdad was... Um, and you'd be high as fuck. And you'd be high as fuck. <laughs> and that is something that I wasn't truly aware of yet because i hadn't tried it myself at that dose mm -hmm. and so my stepdad was the one that i tried it on and that was like poetic justice in so many ways um <laughs> <laughs> so i give him uh capsules with a gram of just straight rick simpson oil mm -hmm. and he had not used cannabis since he was like a teenager and he was in his 40s Probably. No, it'll probably happen. He, <laughs> he had Nothing. a really rough time. No like, tolerance issues there. <laughs> like, turned, turned white, was vomiting, um, hallucinating. <laughs> where's your god now? So, after that pretty terrible experience, um, I stopped giving it to people in syringes because mm -hmm. people don't know how to dose it themselves. It's very potent and, um, and you can ease someone into it to where they aren't having a negative experience, like hearing voices and hallucinating and things like that. So that's what I do now. I have, um, several cancer patients throughout the United States, um, that work with me and I slowly increase their dose. Mm -hmm month to month and have seen a lot of success with that. A lot of people go into remission and 
there's the dark side of it too where you know you lose people and they die yeah um so that's always sad but but you've made their existence a little easier yeah if anything definitely made their dying easier yeah for sure Yeah, so just to say again, everything that's ever talked about on this is allegedly true. Yeah, we should that's a that's a post face, allegedly. Allegedly. And we should start doing a preface allegedly. An alleged so. preface. Okay, that makes sense. All right. See what I'm saying? Everything alleged. Yeah. Okay. I uh I told you that was a good interview. I told you guys. Oh so good. Um let me. I don't have really any. Like she explains things very well, and you guys have a great rapport. Where it was really fun. Um, what like when she talks about like pounds per light? Like what is an average? Like I hear you guys talk about that, like with lights and stuff. But it's also like you're talking about different types of lights and different strains. So I never understand. Like like how much per light should you get? Um, anywhere between one and fifty pounds. No, I'm just what? joking. I'm just joking. Um, I, I I was like, how? Okay, God. I was like, I don't. So I, it's literally one of the questions and the things I hate the most is the pounds per light. Um, as I've always said, it's the way that we growers measure their dicks when it comes to growing cannabis. It really, <laughs> okay. it's like, look right. how big. I got you. Look how big my cola is and everything. So literally, it depends upon the light and how you're growing and what you're actually doing. Uh, most people... Cola's the thing in the middle, you guys. It's the middle bud. Well, it's the it's the it's big the... branch. It's the bigger branches of the cannabis. But, yeah. So when it comes to pounds per light, in my book and the way that I feel, if you're going for taste and flavor over the cannabis actual production you want somewhere between one to one and a half one and three quarters a pound per light by the way that you're growing um i do know people who grow synthetically who have you know tons of growth hormones uh, pgrs and different stuff like that who will get up to four pounds of light but to me, that weed never really tastes good. I never really think anything around two, two and a half pounds of light even really tastes good. I have friends who organically grow, you know, more than two pounds of light. But then to me, you start tasting the inputs then, whether that's bone meal or whatever you're doing to get the high phosphorus. All right. That's okay. That's okay. okay. Should we save all the rest of that for the Patreon? Along, yeah, if we yeah, along if we do a Patreon one day, we'll we'll just get a Q and A of you just talking about all that stuff, and then all the weed nerds can pay five dollars a month to jack off with Mike. <laughs> well, I hope they get to hear the DMT talk. That's what I. Yeah, feel. we did. <sighs> uh, yeah, so I mean good. that is. We did edit out. Uh, AJ and I had. There were several moments in the interview, like in several long. Just not even moments. They were like just large conversations she she and I had about DMT and our experiences with it. And uh, 
We had to edit it out because that's not what this <laughs> podcast is about. <laughs> but Mike made a good. He was like, "Yo, we should. That should be if we ever do a Patreon. That should be the first unedited thing you get to hear." And I was like, "All right, that's it." So if we ever decide to do a Patreon, and we will. Because we want you guys to pay for our adventures. <laughs> uh, I'm, just talking, I'm just being real, you motherfuckers. It's, so. it's just good content, though. I mean, the way yeah, that... Yeah, it is. Like, and then we're the, we might, if we do it right, you guys will love it. So just wait. Just enjoy this. And also, here, go rate and review if you like this right now. Right now, do it. If you don't like it, just fucking stop. Go away. There's a plenty of fucking shit out there uh also you can follow us on instagram grown local pod uh i would tell you mike's instagram but it's just awful so it and starts you with can, a k and then oh, there's some other letters just, in it i think there's yeah there's some it's letters so in many there. and none of them go together like they should uh but you can if you go to grown local pod and you go to who we're following you can follow mike on there and then you can follow me um, we're produced by Slee. Slee is the goddamn best. Uh, just tell your friends about it, too. Uh, we're still growing and learning, and that's what we're doing here on Grown Local. We appreciate you guys listening. And uh, uh, Oh, yeah, just real quick. In the pilot, we said we were going to deliver on Mondays. We just need to edit that out, probably. Because yes. people keep keep listening to it, and then that's my fault. This is all my fault. Um. But it's every Friday we deliver episodes. So uh, follow along and all that. Mike, anything else? I love you guys. We love you guys. Slee, as always, thank you, sir. You're the man. Have a good day, Burr. Mm-hmm.